the known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Welcome to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. My name's Trey. And I'm James. And we hope you guys are all recovering nicely from those big Thanksgiving dinners. Yeah, I the, the food coma is real. I It takes me a little while to, to get, get through that. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually still asleep. <laughs> I that's, just talk in, my, I talk in my sleep. I podcast in my sleep. Genuinely how this show came to be i think <laughs> yeah yeah i'm like i think what was it? i think it was, was it michael bailey who actually did pod, fell asleep during a podcast once yeah it was amazing <laughs> spider-man classics i think <laughs> uh, that's wonderful and and of course the voice you are hearing is our guest for this episode joining us from what stan the man lee used to call merry old england andrew yeah. leyland may the force be with you always yeah, you have nothing to be thankful for. You don't got you don't you don't have a big dinner holiday. No, I'm just eating a cheese sandwich. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, wait, is is the only big dinner holiday Christmas? As far as this time of year, yeah, because yeah. Canada has their Thanksgiving. We've got right. our Thanksgiving. I guess we're just both thankful to be free of you guys. I'm just I'm not I'm not sure where that comes. I don't know why you'd want that. I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to be governed by someone that shoots himself in a foot with alarming regularity. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're not strangers well, to that either. Uh, right, especially the shooting part. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Yeah, well, I on that note. <laughs> yeah. Hey, kids, comics. <laughs> we're not doing we that have show. Three great comics for you today. <laughs> we actually do. We do. So, we do, we do, yeah. These are three excellent picks. Essentially a grab bag episode. Yep, um, we're doing a grab bag. And we're breaking the seal. We are breaking the seal on Star Wars comics. Trey, we were talking yeah. about Star Wars. Well, yeah, we've, never we've, Star Wars before. we've talked about it before and never, just like the first time we did Planet of the Apes was with you, you have inaugurated our first Star Wars comic. Well, yep. whoever picked these three issues did a damn good job. And that person deserves a pay rise for appearing on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that. Let me just work this out. Twice nothing is still nothing. Right, oh, right. That, 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 that is the that is the typical podcast math. Is is that you're always multiplying by nothing? <laughs> let me carry the. Yeah, the oh yeah. I, I, I think I think if we adjust the dollar for the pound, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, that's in negative numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you owe us money. Yeah, I, I owe you for appearing on the. Oh god. <laughs> oh. Uh, what's a pence? <laughs> you had one as a, as a vice president, didn't you? <laughs> we, yes, yes. Oh. I think the British one is worth more, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's saying something. <laughs> anyway, uh. the first comic we are covering today, <laughs> before everyone turns off and leaves you bad reviews. 
Right, right. This show was fine, but then they went to made it all political. Uh, yeah, the first... that part Dylan love. Yeah, the, <laughs> the first comic we are covering today is Star Wars number 45 from, well, cover dated March, I presume 1980 or 1981. I've got the omnibus. Uh, it's 1980. So, 1980, because it um, immediately follows the event of the Empire Strikes Back. Andy, what, what what's that red stuff on the omnibus? Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't talk about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we are going to go... Sorry, we should probably talk, tell listeners what we're talking about this issue, episode. We have Star Wars Volume 1, Issue 45, Marvel Team-Up, number 122, that's Spider-Man and the Man-Thing, and then we have Fantastic Four, number volume one, number 274. And we'll go ahead and get right into those after this quick message. Hey kids, comics! It was the dawn of a new age of comic book podcasting. Hey Kids Comics was a dream given form. A place where two generations of comic book fans could work out their differences peaceably. It was a humorous place where nothing was sacrosanct and it was our last, best hope for joy. But all things end. But from endings can come new beginnings. This is the return of a comic book podcast. The year is 2023. The name of the show is Hey Kids Comics. Michael and Andrew are back with an all new look at old comics and all old looks at new comics. You can go home again. Hey Kid Comics, monthly from Two True Freaks, and wherever you get your comics-related podcasts. Hey Kids Comics! Chewie, an Imperial Probot is searching for the Rebel base. It's Kenner's turret and Probot playset. You have to put it together. Let's check it out, Chewbacca. <laughs> Keep me covered with all laser cannons. Action figures each sold separately. You can move Han Solo with the action lever and knock out the Probot. We got him, Chewie! Yay! But now they know where we are. Turret and Probot playset from Kenner's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. Star Wars 45, Death Probe. Not the episode of the Six Million Dollar Man, although that would be cool. <laughs> That's death a crossover I would million. watch. Yeah, if, if the Death Probe in the Six Million Dollar Man was an Imperial Death Probe, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, they make such a to-do over Luke having the bionic hand, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I envision every time he did his lightsaber now, it does go... Well, that's just me. Star Wars issue 45, Death Probe, was written by Archie Goodwin, penciled by Carmine E. Fantino. Inkers were Day and Stone, which I presume is Gene Day and Chick Stone, but that's just a guess. Mm. John Costanza was the letterer, Glynis Ween was the colorist, Louise Jones, later Simonson, was the editor, and Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is the story. Stan Lee presents, okay, Star Wars, <laughs> the greatest space fantasy of all. An Imperial probe droid attacks a battle-damaged blockade runner as it limps through deep space. I would actually have loved to, to, to watch Stan Lee watch Star Wars for the first time. Yeah, since, since having a what? <laughs> so he drags through. into the theater. <laughs> yeah. 
Roy. Roy would have dragged him to the theater. <laughs> he, does, he does say he saw her. So, you know. Anyway, the, this, this blockhead runner limps through deep space. It is not a normal probe droid. It has, in fact, been augmented by Admiral Krell. Special Probe 13K is under orders to find and destroy any rebels. However, by pure fluke and completely disregarding the vastness of how big space actually is, Luke Skywalker and R2-D2 pilot their X-Wing fighter into said blockade runner and are forced to battle the Death Probe all alone in the night. By the end, they have destroyed the Imperial Star Destroyer and Admiral Krell and launched from the blockade runner in a life pod similar to the one that they launched from in the beginning of Star Wars, where they are found by ex-winged fighters from the Rebel Alliance. Great, yeah. isn't it? It's fine. It really was. Um, There's a whole quick, scene. Go ahead. A quick question. Where did Luke get the lightsaber? He has already been to Tatooine made himself a lightsaber but completely forgot that that's where Jabba the Hutt lives and was taking Han Solo <laughs> which explains why for the next couple of issues they are searching for Han Solo okay fair enough yes but where <laughs> but I was able to help you with that where's Dash Rindar <laughs> I'm, I'm... right he right doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't exist yet um, right right retconned who, I mean, who himself take... then gets retconned away who himself then gets right side underwear, yeah. Um, but then has been referenced since then, so who he may exist. Right. <laughs> God, who knows anymore? No. You know, so, it's all far too confusing. I do really like the cover. I like the cover, uh, yeah. The cover is by Larry Hammer and Al Milgram. For some reason, Luke's flight suit is white instead of orange. Probably because the background is so orange. Yeah, mm. it wouldn't work. It is nice to see them integrating Empire Strikes Back iconography into the strip so quickly mm-hmm. yeah with the death probe that obviously we only first saw on Hoth but it's been right. established in other stuff has been around before then I find it interesting they are beefing it up already they're mm. like yeah put, put it on steroids that's, that's what this is it's a it's a imperial probe on steroids and then it turns into a haunted house story yes and the haunted house story is really good and that one probe we see in Empire Strikes Back, all it really does is arrive, transmit, and self-destruct. Catalyst yes. Center. Catalyst Center. Yeah. There's no indication it can really do anything else right. in the actual film. So yeah, they boofed it up here. Admiral Carell says that this is a part of a, a special augmentation that he's done. Archie Goodwin and Carmani Infantino had been on the book a long time at this point. They would be on their way out. As of issue 49, Walt Simonson takes over on the art. An issue called The Last Jedi, appropriately oh. enough. David McAlhinney will come aboard as writer, and you will get what, for my money, is the single best run of Star Wars comics at that time. The, the gap between Empire and Jedi, where McAlhinney and Simonson were doing it, is absolutely brilliant. That's not to say Archie and Carmine weren't any good. They were. They were brilliant. I love just the way Archie layers the story here about that guy who's trying to get word to the rebellions. He's given a name another few seconds to get to the communications device and he might have become a hero instead he becomes one more anonymous victim in a long bitter war the probe droid literally picks him up and rams his face into a control console pretty brutal too like yeah you imagine that that was a pretty pulpy little mess right there yeah one of the cool things about this issue is that the opening really does kind of read like a war comic transposed into space Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm 
I mean, the 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 Imperial commander here is stock Nazi. Yeah. yeah. Like down to the scar and everything. Yeah, I love that. I love that they've added that scar on his face, and it doesn't become plot element or anything. It's just the. Yep. And this is all Archie's ability to build just add layers of character with very little to tell a really good, fun, done-in-one Star Wars story. I love They're... the page that just recaps the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it's beautiful. Good stuff. There are and a it few tells you in a, It tells you everything you need to know about that movie as far as Luke's story all in one page, which is great. Mm. Yeah. There are a few head-scratchers. For example... There is a scene after Luke has ejected from his X-Wing where he propels himself with a laser blaster, and I'm not sure that's how blasters work. I'm, I'm, not, no. sure you, I'm not sure you could propel yourself with a, with a, with a laser wouldn't, energy weapon. Wouldn't this have been much cooler if he'd used the Force like in The Last Jedi? Right. So right. he could just point to all those people who said that Princess Leia scene was silly and go, ha, ha, Luke did it first. Wait, are you saying something... So that Ryan Johnson actually has did actually has value. My God, you are going to get us banned from the internet. <laughs> I'm such a rebel. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, Andy. I, I do also like in, in starting in this same sequence how R2's gadgets become so mm. important to the story, which is very forward thinking because the prequels would do a lot of that. Yeah, well, again, if they had that knowledge, surely it would have made more sense instead of using his blaster to use R2's thrusters to push them. Right. Because as we right. know from Attack of the Clones, he does have thrusters. Yep. Yes, and and can fly when he feels like it. Yeah, he just yeah. forgot to tell us that in the later movies. <laughs> but he but I, I like the way he magnetizes to the hull and and later sort of launches himself at the, the loader mechanism. R2's yeah. great in this. R2's brilliant. Well, I think R2-D2's MVP in the original trilogy. I think they're all dead multiple times over without R2-D2. Yeah. Mm. Shame he curses like a sailor. Well, <laughs> shame he curses like a sailor and drinks so much he completely forgot that he knew who Anakin Skywalker was. <laughs> right. <laughs> who hasn't done that, though? Seriously. Well, yeah, it's rough being R2-D2. All of the action beats once Luke gets on the blockade runner are brilliant. Yeah. Yes. The forklift. Yeah. They Trey. They tried to kill him with a forklift. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I'm not sure at any point we see what color Luke's lightsaber is. It's just sort of whitish blue in the one I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... But yeah, occasionally you'll get a blue thing, so that kind of implies that it isn't the green one that he'll build for Return (laughs) of the Jedi. But whatever. Did the Star Wars comic last until Return of the Jedi? Yeah, oh, yeah. they adapted the movie. Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. In fact, there's currently, I think it came out this past week. There's like a tribute issue with a bunch of the the old art from the Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, celebrating thirty years, forty years of Jedi. God, thirty yeah. years before. <laughs> yeah. But what I like about this is it goes through the entire storyline. Luke never actually meets the person who's caused all this, Admiral Krell, which obviously mm-hmm. he wouldn't. And what actually causes the plan to go wrong isn't that Luke's particularly genius or heroic. It isn't that the probe droid makes a mistake. It's that what Admiral Krell didn't take into account was that the probe droid's initial and overriding programming is to find the rebellion and tell Darth Vader. And it's a little the... bit. It's a go little on. bit of the 2001: A Space Odyssey thing of Hal having the conflicting instructions. Mm. So I, I quite like that that he couldn't have foreseen that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And him not knowing something led to the probe drive being able to, well, doing what it should have done, and Luke being able to save the day or get away anyway. You can't save anyone. They're all dead. <laughs> yeah. And ramming one capital starship with another capital starship is yet another thing that reminds me of The Last Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also, gentlemen, a little surprise in this issue because I know it's not your omnibus, Andy, but in this issue, we have a hostess ad. Who doesn't love a hostess ad? Well, you know, we figure since, you know, we had you on the show... We might do a little ad hoc amateur production, of course. We we certainly can't match the the stellar production values of you gentlemen on Fantastic Cast. Right. This is not this is not equity approved or anything. <laughs> By stellar performances, you mean dreadful accents that God has cancelled in numerous countries around the world. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> I hear you got a death a, a death warrant on your head on sixty systems. What is that? Well, it wanted men. You should watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this one's called the Human Torch and blown about. And we've got the Human Torch. Well, they've got this redheaded woman, really, really big hair. Quality, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. Quality hair, threatening a crowd with a giant blow dryer. Yeah, um, but you see that the problem with this my friend, is there's only two talking parts in it. Right. So one of us is going to be really denied to show our acting prowess. <laughs> I opt out. There you go. Have fun, gentlemen. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, fine. I, I'll, 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 I'll narrate what's going on. As token, okay. Brit, as token Brit, I guess that means that I get to be the bad guy, because that's all you got cast us in. <laughs> I mean, we did just read a Star Wars comic. That's true. <laughs> okay. I will be the bat. So in addition to playing the bad girl, I'm also playing a girl. And so this, there's no way this can go wrong. Well, but also grand tradition of Monty Python. And Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Okay, everybody. End out with the purse, the money and the jewels. I'll get a blast from my supersonic air dryer. See? It'll do a lot more than dry your air. Let's see if I can't put a stop to that little game. The human torch flies in. Watch out. I'll blow your flames right out. Holy smoke. She'll cool my fire soon. I've got to get her hands off that blow dryer. Hey, what's that I see? Johnny gets blown on panel four. Lucky old Johnny. (laughs) Hostess cupcakes. Just the thing. Diabetes and plastic wrapping. You'll want to get your hot little hands on these goodies. Oh, chocolatey cake, chocolatey icing, great taste, and you love a fine, cool blimey governor. <laughs> a hot number like you shouldn't drop her weapon for anything. Not even Hostess Cupcakes. I think GM yeah. should read the last bit. Hey, you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Cupcakes. <laughs> oh, there's so much innuendo in that. So much. <laughs> I'm sure uh, it was fully intentional. Uh, so, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit off, off mic. I want to see Earth Coastus. I want to visit Earth Coastus. <laughs> I just imagine everybody's like massively obese and suffering horrible diabetes. So you just want to go somewhere where Hostess Fruit Pies just happen to be lying around everywhere. I, I want to go somewhere where everyone's like me. Yeah. I've got to be and, honest. And, and when if... I was in America, I preferred uh, Ding Dongs and Ho-Hos. Particularly uh-huh. Ho-Hos. 
They're coming right up to your hotel room. Uh, <laughs> ten dollars, they'll do more than that. <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, Trey, I think you posited that like Earth Hostess is a shared universe. Like, oh, absolutely, it, it, it's like the the Treasury Superman, Spider Man, and and Batman Hulk, where all the characters just coexist. The the thing Sweet. I enjoyed most recently was there there was briefly a Hostess Ding Dong Twinkie mashup. Where it's it's a ding dong that has Twinkie cake inside it. You, you, you do understand that, like the words you just said, made no sense to Andy whatsoever. <laughs> he thinks you had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're eating a lot of Hostess products, I can imagine that you did. <laughs> right. <laughs> the danger is very real. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break to check our blood sugar, and <laughs> we'll be right back with our look at Marvel Team-Up number 122 featuring the Man-Thing right after this message. This house isn't haunted, is it? Do something, Fruit Pie the Magician! Yeah, my what? We're falling! Don't drag some of the hostess fruit pies and, and Twinkie's cakes! I want to go home! That's easy! Yeah! Twinkie the Kid! Now for Hostess Fruit Pies, Apple and Cherry and Twinkie. Cream filling, real fruit filling. You'll get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Fruit Pies and Twinkie's cakes. So, Andy, we have to do a new trailer for The Overlooked Dark Knight. Really? Why? Because we moved. We moved? Yeah, things, um... Things weren't working out with the system that I've used since 2008, and the episodes are taking forever to come out, so I just moved us over to Libsyn. And is this going to change anything about the show? Oh, absolutely not. We're still reading Batman comics and talking about them. Well, because it's hard to talk about comics you've not read. For the most part. And we're sticking to the Batman comics that have been overlooked or forgotten over the years? That's the plan. And we're just going to abandon that format whenever we want from time to time? More than likely. I mean, it it is us. Yeah, right? (laughs) Rules are meant to be broken anyway. And what about the old episodes? Well, the old episodes will still be available on the old feed. I I have no plans on closing that out. I may start porting some of those over to the new feed, but all of the feeds are going to stand for the moment. Uh, For the new episodes, just look for the album cover with the Jerry Bingham art wherever you look for your podcasts. Seems relatively foolproof. And I'll still be doing posts at www.fortressofbailey2.com where people can leave comments, see the covers, and occasionally pages from the comics we talk about. Brilliant. So, meeting adjourned. Pint! I'm up for that. This is your friend Spider-Man asking you to come and see us come to life in Hardy's new 3D theater meals. You will definitely want to collect all six at Hardy's. Welcome back to Believers to our next issue. It's Marvel Team Up number 122, featuring, of course, the amazing Spider Man and the Man Thing. Title on this one is A Simple Twist of Fate. Writer on this one is Young J.M. Dimiteus. Wonder if anything will happen with that kid. Carrie Gamble is our penciler. Mike Esposito is our inker. Diane Albers is our litter. Bob Sharon is our colorist. Tom DeFalco's editor. And Jim Shooter is cracking the whip. We pick up in the swamp near Citrusville, I'm assuming, because Man Thing's right there. When suddenly, being the nexus of realities, a rift opens up in time and space. 
and Mandrake the Magician wanders out. No, sorry, no, that's not Mandrake. Sorry, excuse me. Um, <laughs> Forgive him for is, thinking it might be. Yeah, it, it is a dude with a mustache and a tuxedo, so you can see where I'm coming from here. The gentleman touches Man-Thing, apparently having zero fear of him, and decides that they are kindred spirits and they should work together. By the way, this guy is Fate, by the way. Not to be confused with the cat I had named Fate, which is <laughs> which is pretty obvious as he is not a large ginger idiot. Um, right. uh, also, not to be confused with the DC character Fate, who briefly took over from Dr. Fate in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's Good true. old Jared Stevens. Okay, and while we're on it, probably, not, even despite the mustache, also not Manos the hands of. Right, <laughs> right. Fate. Definitely no. not him. <laughs> No, although again, you could see where the physical resemblance might. Well, and, and it, it, there's a bit of a Torgo relationship there with Man Thing, so. Okay. Well, there's a mashup I didn't know I wanted to see. <laughs> so, Fate explains some backstory. Apparently, he used to be a reporter before he pissed off the wrong people, so the wrong people blew up his wife and kid. And so then, of course, he switches to the mystical arts. Apparently, it ties in a Demon Slayer somehow and the Defenders. Go ahead. Well, no, just once again, what we get here is J.M. DeMatteis following up on a story in a different title than the one where it started. It's I don't think we've ever encountered that in a Man-Thing story by J.M. DeMatteis before. No, no. Or later. Oh, wait, <laughs> was it Demon Slayer in that freaking J.M. DeMatteis story that we, series that we read? Probably. We talked about oh. Demon Slayer, so probably... We, yeah, yeah, he was there too. Yep, there he goes. Yep, which he didn't create Demon Slayer, but he did create this this Ian Fate guy and tied him into Devil Slayer's origin. Gotcha. So Ian Fate decides he's going to end the suffering of mankind and Man-Thing's going to help. Jump to New York City where Peter is trying to sell some pictures of the elderly in order to Jameson. Jameson actually takes them up on the opportunity think he'd be a good opportunity to, you know, really pull up the heartstrings of the readers and make the competition eat their heart out. I don't know what newspapers he's in competition with. No, well, he says he's putting it in the Sunday magazine. Oh, mm-hmm. right, okay. The Blue Ridge Brigade. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it just, you're always told, like, the Sunday magazine is, like, you know, little, a bit, a bit artsy, you know? I don't know if we really have Sunday magazine still. I guess Parade? I think New York Times still does a magazine. Okay. I'm not sure if it publishes every week or if it's like quarterly or whatever. But. Yeah. Luckily, this podcast this podcast is not the history of publishing. So we move on to Peter almost getting hit by a car for some reason I can't think of in the story. I guess they just want to make sure readers know that, yes, this is Spider-Man, kids. Calm down. And yeah, Action's coming. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Right. He After then... Passing his amazing superhero, superheroic acrobatics off as, you know, I got a good gym membership. Right. He then... It's just got heavy Christopher Reeve energy, hasn't it? I just expect <laughs> him to look at the camera there and go, I've been working out. Right. Well, the, the panel where he's just kind of shrugging and smiling definitely looks like something from Superman 78. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Bye. So... No, he likes it. Yeah, he did. He, he just... He just... And away! Thing with, the thing with this scene is nowadays, he's all, well, nobody saw anything, nobody will remember me, it's New York, I'm great, I'm fine. People would have some to the bone's neck. Right. Yeah. It would be all over TikTok. 
Mm. Whatever that yep. is. Yep. And then he legs it down an alley, and he runs into fate and a strangely covered headstone figure. And I love Man Thing's outfit here. He's pulling <laughs> his best Claude Rains. Yeah. <laughs> Peter doesn't think anything's weird about it until he realizes that the large cloak figure is trailing swamp slime along with him. So he runs into a rest- restaurant, again, barely hiding his secret identity, runs into also, the bathroom. Also and- very Christopher Reeve Superman. Yep. Yeah. Runs into the bathroom and bounds out again as Spider-Man. Nice place you got here. Remind me to come back soon and sample the lasagna. Well, you'll know in the panel, though, Terry Gamble draws him as covering his face. Yes. But that barely does anything. I mean, come on. I know, but how many people do you think this meant to DC in a day? Right. It is funny that that in this book, Peter kind of almost gives away his identity twice in three pages. (laughs) Yes. It Um, was the 80s. (laughs) Ian, Faye, and Man-Thing arrive at the Daily Bugle, where Ian is looking for his old friend, J. Jonah Jameson. And there's a nice scene here where Faye sees Jameson and is like, Ah, there he is, Mr. Jameson. Jameson, me? Nah, I'm the copy boy. Jameson's on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Jonah, it's me, it's me, Ian and apparently, like, Jonah is so warm and fuzzy in this issue yeah yeah. He, he, I can only assume Marla Madison gave it up last night <laughs> because he's, he's, he's borderline human now this yes. was a period in Spider-Man comics history I don't know how familiar you guys are with Spider-Man that they were going out of the way to try and humanize Jonah and not make him the cartoon character cliche that he had been previously and give layers to his character. So over in Amazing Spider-Man, Roger Stern's got him going to the gym and getting a bit more in trim and even attempting to stop smoking. He's met Marlon Madison. Bill Mantlo did an absolutely brilliant and hugely underrated issue of Peter Parker called I Cover the Waterfront that is entirely from Jonah's point of view and Spider-Man just appears as this background figure helping Jonah out without Jonah knowing that he's there. So this kind of leads into what was going on at the time. Whether this was editorial saying let's kind of make Jonah less of a cartoon, I don't know, but it works because it gives him a personality and a character beyond get me pictures of Spider-Man. And, and because Fate was already established as a former reporter... It doesn't feel out of place that that they would have that past relationship. Yeah. But Fate tells Jonah he wants his help to basically fix the evils of the world, which I'm not sure why he's going to see Jonah about that, except to set up a crossover. Fate uses his powers to cover everybody in Daily Bugle in a lovely candy coating. We then have Spider-Man watching through a window, and he realizes, wait a minute, nothing actually bad is happening here. Maybe I don't need to get involved. But then, of course, Jonah says... remarkably self-aware for a superhero. Yes! Yes. Like... Yes. That he did not just go crashing through the window feet first. Yeah. Right? But, of course, Jonah tells Ian that he cannot help him, that it'd be against his journalistic principles to try to change the world. He can only report on it. So Ian attacks Jonah. Spider-Man comes in and says, Okay, buddy, trying to calm down. And that's where we have some fighty-fighty. But then uh, Man-Thing tries to calm Ian down, I guess, or tries to grab him. And then that's, of course, where Ian starts to actually fear his companion. 
and it starts to burn and touch the man thing. The man thing senses a lot more fear coming from Jonah Jameson, who up to this point has been saying a lot of humana, humana, humana. And there's even a, it's in the caption box a couple pages earlier, it mentions the, tin, mentions the tinge of fear in Jameson's gut. Yeah. Which, I, I, you know, it's been a while since we read some man thing, Trey, but like, does he, is he a fear detector? Does he go out searching out fear, or is it just that what happens if you are experiencing fear and he touches you, you burn? So it's not always consistent, but I think at this period, one of the things that can cause Man-Thing to lash out and become violent is lots of chaotic emotions around him. Like, the more extreme feelings that are around him, the more he's going to lash out to try and silence those feelings. Gotcha, gotcha. So Spider-Man tackles the man thing, punches him through a wall, and rides him down to the street like a bomb in Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> and then he splatters on the sidewalk, and as he's starting to reform, he starts attacking some, some pedestrians. There's some more fighty-fighty, and up in the Daily Bugle offices, Ian finds the pictures of the elderly that P- Peter took earlier and talks about the suffering that he sees... And it's like, you know, part of, part of, and Jonah's like, you know, part of being human is the suffering. Something that Jonah would know a lot about, especially whenever spider slayers come to town. But then there's, again, some fighty-fighty with the man thing. Spider-Man barely survives the fight. Like, he really gets, like, tuckered out. But until, like, basically ooze on a sidewalk man thing is teleported away by fate. And Spider-Man collapses. Well, Man-Thing quickly recovers back in Citrusville Swamp, and that's the end of the issue. It's a raw team-up list that does lead into the next issue. Spider-Man starts the next issue in hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, have you read a lot of these before? The J.M. DeMatteis, Cary Gamble stuff? We've read a lot of J.M. DeMatteis, but not so much... Not this era. Yeah. J.M. DeMatteis and Cary Gamble's run of Marvel team-up is, for my money, the best this title ever got. Like Barnum, better than Claremont Burn. I can't think of any other long-running <laughs> people on Marvel team up. Every single issue is like this one. It is a team up with an unusual character to be meeting Spider-Man, but every issue is full of action and full of character. Andy froze us. This does not boot well. No. I'm more wrong. I didn't really remember this issue particularly, and I'm reading it last night or Friday night or whenever. And it's just so dense. I don't mean thick. It's dense in a good way. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of story that he crams into this 22-page comic. He never skimps on character. He never forgets that it's Spider-Man and, even though the focus right. is actually the not the guest star. The focus isn't even Man-Thing. The focus right. is Ian Fate. Mm-hmm. Right. And the character... The, the guy that really... Dimitaeus created. Yeah, well... And the the character that really brings about the conclusion is Jonah. Yeah. And it's just such a well-written, well-drawn comic. And you don't want to be, oh, why don't they do this anymore? Why don't they make comics like this anymore? Because there are some great comics being published at the minute. I'm not a negative Nancy when it comes to modern-day comic books. But there was just something about just sitting there and reading this and getting something that took me a substantial part of 20 minutes to read and then put it down at the end of it and just go... God, that was good. Yeah, yeah and, and I, what I really like about it is, as James suggested, the back half of the book does have a lot of fighty fight. Mm-hmm. But the ultimate conclusion 
is that the fighting doesn't solve the problem. The problem nope. is solved by Jonah talking things out with the guy. The fighting is sort of secondary to that. That's just that's keeping man thing away so that the talking can happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. I have another theory as well that it's a demon. No, something mm. isn't right. Yet. I have another theory. In the early '80s, Marvel went through like its second renaissance mm-hmm. when Shooter came on board, full of piss and vinegar, with something to prove. And pretty much every Marvel book at this time was worth reading. Even something like Defenders was being written by Dimitrius. Master of Kung Fu was doing well at the minute. Micronauts. Even stuff you weren't normally interested in, you could pick up and still read and enjoy. And that's not including when you got the good stuff, like Frank Miller's on Daredevil, Sterner Amita Jr. on Amazing Spider-Man, DiMatteis and Zekker on Captain America. Simonson's not quite got to Thor yet, but he's not far away. Stinkovets is on Moon Knight. You've got Love the Hercules... Run. Yep, you've got the Hercules run by Bob Layton, the miniseries, the Wolverine miniseries by Frank Miller and Chris Claremont. You've got Doctor Strange by Stern, Michael Goldman, Terry Austin. They're not... The X-Men's obviously in the middle of Claremont and Paul Smith, I think, at this point. Fantastic Four. Burns on the book. Peter Parker's got Bill Mantlo doing better stuff than he did last time. Iron Man's got Michelini and Ramita Jr. and Bob Layton on it. What If is a Frank Miller issue about Elektra. There's, there's a the comic book adaptation of Blade Runner came out this month with some fantastic career best Al Williamson art. It's like there is just so much there that at the very least is entertaining comics. Sure. To a point where I don't think they've ever beaten the 80s. The 60s were better because the sheer level of creativity that was going on in the 60s. But the 80s found a way to take what they'd done in the 60s and build on it and change things around and make things different and not be doing the same old stuff and rehashing the stuff that seems to have permeated the last 10 to 15 years of Marvel Comics. Yeah. Roger Stern's on Avengers, a book I couldn't care less about until Roger Stern was on it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's the comic book adaptation of Annie, but not everything's going to be a winner. <laughs> yeah, to your point about this era of Marvel Team-Up, uh, I think the only issues of Marvel Team-Up that we've done on the show are much earlier in the run when it's Ween and Andrew. And, you know, those are fun. They're, they're enjoyable, but they're they're slighter. Yeah, team-up and two-in-one and over-the-road, Brave and the Bold and, and DC Comics present, always felt to me like we need to get this book out. It didn't feel like anyone really cared about it. It didn't feel like they had a consistent creative team. And in all cases, the best issues are like done-in-ones by creators that just come in and do an issue. Clermont and right. Frank Miller on issue 100 of Marvel team-up. Which it's it's a not a yeah, none of these team up books. They're they're not books that sell because of a creative team. They yeah. sell because they sell because a kid looks at the cover and they say, "Oh, that book has two heroes in it. I get twice for my money on that one." Yeah, and one of them Spider Man or Batman. Right, uh-huh. right. But Di Matteo and Gamble's run is seriously underrated and well worth checking out. But I think the only place you can do it, I don't know if Marvel Unlimited has them all. I know they're not on Comicsology. Well, what was Comicsology? And right, they've yeah. never RIP. been, uh, yeah, they've never been reprinted anywhere. Now the masterworks are currently still around 100 for Marvel Team. Okay. So they're still a bit away from this. And the epic right. collections are they doing epic collections for Team Up yet? I don't know. I, I would I would be interested in one if they are. 
certainly if when they get to the epic collection of Dimatteis and Gamble, pick it up. It is yeah. honestly, I've considered this being the next thing I cover after I finish Roger Stern's run on Spectacular because I, I really do consider it incredibly underrated and incredibly unknown. I mean, look at that cover. The cover by Ed Hannigan at this point. Again, let's talk about this era of Marvel comics. Ed Hannigan was knocking it out the park with his covers. Every yeah. single one of them was like an off-concept thing. He was smashing up the logo. He was painting his covers. Just the, the design work on Ed Hannigan's cover at this point. And this one, that is a Ditko-esque cover of the finest order. But there's a, a horror element to it as well. That Spider-Man has been completely enveloped by the yeah. man thing. It's mm-hmm. it's fantastic. I love yeah. that and, comic. And I'm, love I'm that normally... Issue. I'm normally critical of covers that have just a blank background, but this one, there's so much going on with those figures and the way they're meshing together. Anything else on the page would distract from that. Yeah, a, a background color would, would probably take your eye away from mm-hmm. just the, how gorgeous the image is. Uh-huh. But yeah, and I just, I love Demetrius's prose, the, the narration mm-hmm. and the, the way he writes dialogue. It, it's just so so much fun to read yeah. yeah and and the art Kerry Gamble does wonderful stuff with the art like when Jonah actually says I'm going to take your pictures I, re- I reckon I could do a real human angle piece on this the way Jonah sorry Jonah Peter and Robbie look at each other like did that just happen <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. great beautiful stuff it finds space for character moments that I don't mm. normally associate with a team up book yes we're normally it's here's the hero here's the villain here's the fight of misunderstanding Bye. Right. <laughs> it's it's a fun little issue, and I'm, you know, Andy. I'm glad you picked it out because it was it was a lot of fun to read. It was and, great. And we're we're Demetrius fans here at Tomb of Ideas, so always <laughs> nice to find one that we hadn't read before. Yeah. So I actually did reach out to him on Blue Sky, asking if his, this is for his first outing with Man Thing, and he says no. Mm-hmm. I, it may, it may have been my first, but then he came back to me later and says no. Looks like I did do a shorter story earlier. That, right. get that was incorporated into a larger issue. Yeah, right. it was a tryout story I did, and that got published before this. But this is his first full-length Man-Thing story. Yeah, because he's also... great. He's great on social media. He will actually answer your questions and talk to you. He's, he's very approachable. Yeah. And guys, if you're not already on Blue Sky, we do highly recommend it. It is a lovely community just developing over there, and you know we'd love you to be part of it. I don't know if he told us what issue, but I found what issue of Man-Thing it is that has the story. Go ahead. It's, it's uh, Man-Thing Volume 2, Number 9, uh, and he has the second story in the book called My Soul to Keep, which is also a Hannigan penciled. Right. Um, and, of course, it's also not the first meeting between Man-Thing and Spider-Man. That happens in Giant Size Spider-Man Number 5. Right. So a lot of intersections of characters and creators coming back together in this team-up book. Yeah. Just a fun little book. I kind of want to read the Daredevil and, story now. And I, I appreciate, for the time, the relative complexity of fate as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, that Yeah, for a one-shot team-up book. Yeah, he's not totally villainous. That He has this sympathetic backstory. Even, I mean, he's an unreliable narrator when he's recounting the events of Defenders, but he has been through horrible things, and it's mm-hmm. left him wounded and damaged mm-hmm. in a way that that you sort of feel for him by the end of the story yeah uh, he, yep. he's he's a sympathetic character uh, and he was, also he was very good at that 
And, and also, much like the later Demetrius Man-Thing, it sets up further adventures of Man-Thing with a character that no one ever followed up on. <laughs> and fate oh, was not... never seen in comics again. Was he not? No, not at all. Goodness gracious. <laughs> That's a shame, isn't it? For all we know, Man-Thing ate him. <laughs> well, you just took that down a dark path. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Speaking of dark past, should we talk about Burn? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes, right. yes we should. Yeah. All right. Going to go ahead go to another quick break and when we come back, we'll be looking at Fantastic 4 number 274 right after these messages. Where am I? In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Who are you? I am Andrew Leyland, and for over 200 episodes, I have covered everything genre-related, from the obvious things that everyone talks about, Star Trek, to deep dives into the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, via the obscure, such as ITC's experimental science fiction dramas The Champions or Department S. It's very cosmopolitan, you never know who you meet next. In the Palace of Glittering Delights... Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Available from Two True Freaks and via your podcatcher of choice. It's the Battle of the Mini Monsters, introducing Frankenstein, Venom of the Opera, Dracula, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. The monsters with glow-in-the-dark features. Frankenstein is in a foul temper. Dracula flies in, fangs bared. Creature surfaces, dripping with rage. Phantom shows his fiendish face. I can't look. Is he ugly? The monster battle rages on. It's a howl. The monsters with glow-in-the-dark features, each sold separately from Remco. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our final issue for today is Fantastic Four, Volume 1, number 274. Cover date on this is January 1985, which means it probably came out sometime around mid-October of 84. The writer and penciler on this is John Byrne, inks by Al Gordon, colors by Glennis Ween, letters by Diana Albers, and the editor is Mike Carlin. And we open... In Bellport, Connecticut, uh, a little suburb where Reed and Sue are living under the names Reed and Susan Benjamin because they've adopted secret identities to raise their child. And a nosy neighbor named Alma Chalmers is spying because she thinks something weird is up with the neighbors. And just as she peeks through the window in a homemade periscope, she sees a friend of the family, Jen Walters, transform into She-Hulk in order to lift a refrigerator and retrieve some lost jewelry. Um, and Chalmers panics at the sight of She-Hulk and runs away, leaving behind the periscope. Sue looks out the window, misses the neighbor, but sees the periscope and muses that she should let Reed know that they they might have been outed. But Meanwhile, Chalmers... Kravitz. Yeah. Yes. And, and Chalmers is ranting to herself conspiracy theories about witches and monsters. She really is like the Walmart brand Gladys Kravitz. Yeah. Yes. yes. And the, this opening, I mean, he even acknowledges it, that why did she not just use her invisible force field to get it? And I yeah, don't buy, yeah. oh, I must have just forgot because I'm so used to playing Murray Homemaker. Bollocks. Mm-hmm. And right. it would have been so much easier to just have, she'll be making a cup of coffee, she drops the spoon the spoon rolls under the fridge 
and she just and picks, then... you get the same result, and then She-Hulk hears it clatter, looks and goes, ooh, may have a problem, and you get to exactly the same point, and it doesn't make Sue look like she's a dit. Yeah, I have very little patience for when writers make Sue dumb. Especially it might be the heat from that wig. It could yeah. be. He's done such a good job with her in this run of establishing her as her own person. And this literally sets up the Malice arc where she becomes the Invisible Woman. Right. And 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 I, I think, I don't, this doesn't mean I like it, but I think what Burns getting at is what comes up in the next page where Sue is on her way to contact Reed, but she stops at the nursery and has a bit of a breakdown because of the lost child. Because mm, she's um, just had a miscarriage. But you can still have right. that with the other opening. Right. You don't, right. You don't have to make Sue forget to use her powers. Sure. Um, meanwhile, at the Baxter building, Reed is telling Johnny and Alicia that uh, they need to move their headquarters out of the Baxter building because it no longer has the space for all of the stuff that Reed has built over the years because he keeps inventing things. <clears throat> and they can't get rid of any of the other tenants to get more space because the former owner was only able to get tenants into the building by offering them 99-year leases. So, um, Andy, does anything come of this? Like, I feel like the, the building just gets blown up instead. Is that the case? Yeah, the building gets stolen by Dr. Doom and Kristoff and exploded in straight. And when they build Four Freedoms Plaza, obviously that's got more space and he's a much taller <laughs> building. It's basically because Byrne felt that the Baxter building, when they designed it in 1963 for the original FF, it was one of the tallest buildings around, and by the eighties, it was dwarf. It, it's the... a bit of it's a bit of the seventies King Kong thing, where he can't yeah. climb the Empire State Building anymore. It's got to be the the Twin Towers. Yeah, so he always planned to get rid of it and rebuild it as a new, much bigger facility. Yeah, he's already had Mister Fantastic outright buy the building from Collins. That was in an earlier right. issue, so he mm -hmm. does own the Baxter Building now. I think that gets forgotten in subsequent writers that he did that. But right. yeah, he's, he's basically just setting up the destroying the Baxter building, basically. And meanwhile, Johnny and Alicia are on their way to an art lecture, which Reed thinks is a bit out of character for Johnny, but also thinks that he sees something more than friendship between Johnny and Alicia, and that uh, Alicia will probably be good for him. Um, I hate this development so much. Me too. I don't hate it in the moment. I hate where they went with it. That they marry and then she's a scroll and then none of it matters because they quickly realized that it was a mistake. Well, it was a mistake in the first place, but right. you don't know where Byrne was going to go with it. I don't right. think he ever intended to have Johnny marry Alicia. I don't think that was his intention. He probably, I... being as big a fan as he is of Lee Kirby would have ultimately got Ben and Alicia back together. This this feels like a reason to keep Alicia around while Ben is off planet. And also yeah. make Ben feel like shit when he comes back, because that his too. decision to stay there was selfish. Yes. He didn't think of Alicia when he decided to stay on Secret Wars World. And right. he got a new girlfriend, too. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's kind of like he moved on and then comes back and doesn't expect that Alicia's done the same. Right. And that takes us to the, the transition in issue where Reed muses about his long-lost friend Ben Grimm, who is currently over on Battleworld. And so we jump across the cosmos to 
the site of Marvel's uh, superhero Secret Wars, a 12-part limited series, of which the ninth issue was on sale as this issue came out. Thank yeah. you, Caption Box. <laughs> and on Battleworld, Ben Grimm is confronted by the Frankenstein monster, which continues a story from the Thing solo book, where he had encountered some other monsters. And we're told that basically the way the battle world works is that it draws inspiration from your own psyche and thoughts and dreams and manifests them physically on the planet. And so this is a manifestation of Frankenstein's monster pulled from Ben Grimm's memories of going to old monster movies as a kid. Yeah. They fight for a bit. And just as Ben is about to have a giant boulder thrown at him, Frankenstein's monster collapses with a dart in his back. A guy in knockoff Judge Dredd armor shows up and shoots a dart into Ben Grimm as well, and he also so passes I, out. I can only assume that in addition to watching old late-night monster movies, Ben reads 2000 AD. Right. <laughs> Which would be because... in keeping with Ben's reading. He likes fantasy, likes Stephen King. Yeah, I can totally sure. believe he reads 2000 AD. Right. But I'm not wrong, right? That is just yeah, green and blue Judge Dredd. Judge yeah. Dredd. Yeah. It's clearly okay. supposed to be Judge Dredd. <laughs> the the, the shoulder Robo things give it away. I was just because Robocop doesn't exist yet. No. So right. It's clearly Ruler Judge Dredd. Yeah. Yes. Ben awakens in kind of shackles that are restraining his head and arms. He's in the back of this motorized cart. Frankenstein's monster is there locked up as well, along with a man named Gregor Lupus which Ben immediately puts together as Latin or Greek or something for wolf. Uh, and yes, Gregor is a werewolf. Ben decides that he doesn't want to see where this is going, and so he turns back to human because that's what he can do on Battle World. His whole reason for staying after Secret Wars was that he wanted to live in a place where he could be human when he wanted to be. And yeah. so he turns into Ben Grimm, who has a much smaller frame and is able to easily slip out of the, the shackles. Our Judge Dredd wannabe goes to investigate, and Ben knocks him out with one swift kick, and Ben goes after the man in charge, who is Dr. Julius Ackerman, the Monster Master. Of course. Forrest J. Ackerman was obviously yes. the editor of Great Monsters of Filmland. Yep. Right, right, yes. I don't know if this looks um, like him, or if Burns just appropriated the name. Just the name, I right. think. Right, I think it's the name, mostly. Um right. And so as Ben threatens the monster master, Lupus transforms into a werewolf, even though it's still midday, and Ben has to fight the werewolf. He turns back into the thing. There's some more fighty, fighty fight. And while Ben is distracted with the werewolf, Frankenstein's monster also gets free and very swiftly kills the monster master. Ben fights off the werewolf until he transforms back into human and... Frankenstein's monster expresses his gratitude for helping to free the monsters. Um, Lupus offers to let Ben join the two of them as they continue wandering Battle World, but Ben says he needs to go alone. And as he walks away, the Frankenstein's monster and Lupus fade into nothingness as though they had never existed. There is a there's a short epilogue at the end where a drone flies into the Baxter building burrowing tiny holes into various devices and, and equipment, finally making its way to the extraterrestrial contamination containment room, and it drills a hole in a canister containing the symbiote, or what would become known as the symbiote eventually, 
and it escapes through the tiny hole and looking a bit like Great Lakes Avenger Flatman sort of billows out into the breeze. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So we got um, a Venom tie-in here that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, Well, yeah. it's Secret Wars. Yeah. Unfortunately, my issue won't be worth anything because on the Mighty Marvel checklist on the bullpen bulletins, I have ticked off every issue that I bought oh, this month. That's what it was so for, I, though. Yeah, I bought The Thing, Daredevil, Amazing Spider-Man, Captain America, Indiana Jones, Power Pack, Alpha Flight, Marvel Tales... Fantastic for obviously Marvel team up and Peter Parker. That's that's a good pull list right there. <laughs> it, it's more than I buy nowadays. Not Star Wars. <laughs> no, Star Wars was very difficult to get hold of over here because Star Wars was being published as a weekly. Uh, so right. we didn't really talk about this, and we'll come back to Fantastic Four. But like, we didn't really talk about this when we talked about the Star Wars issue. Star Wars was huge for Marvel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it saved of, them. It saved the, the publisher. Reasons, yeah. One of the reasons I think that the Luke, Han, and Leia triumvirate and 3PO and all the others are as beloved as they are is because so many people read that comic. Because if you just watch the films, let's be charitable, there's not a lot of characterization there. Famously, from Harrison Ford's point of view, but we were reading the comics for three years in between Star Wars and Empire, and then three years in between Empire and Jedi. We had six years of these characters' adventures every month to keep us going, and I think that's why they're as beloved as they are. It's not really just the films. It's and and even the, the later stuff, the novels and, and follow-ups, mm-hmm. they're not in direct continuity with the Marvel comics, but I think they borrowed that 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 approach, that, that characterization in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like the post-Return of the Jedi stuff gets contradicted quite a lot, but the earlier stuff, they <laughs> don't go out of their way to contradict right. what happened in between Star Wars and Empire and Empire and Jedi. They leave open think, the possibility. Yeah, that it was canonical in a way because for those that were reading it every month it was and I I think that gets overlooked I also think controversial Star Wars hot take it's why the prequels have more interesting characters Mm. that the characters in the prequels have more depth and more interest to them and more going on than the characters in the original movie yeah it's it's why characters from say like the Clone Wars series are keep on getting revisited but with like these TV miniseries like Ahsoka and so forth they keep yeah, coming and back. the various Mandalorian characters. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you can argue depth. a lot of that. A lot of that comes from Star Wars did a couple of issues just about Mandalorian characters, even though they weren't really called that. They were referred to as being from Mandalore, but mm-hmm. they weren't called Mandalorians and all of that stuff. But they did quite a lot of it. Yeah. And they were the first ones to resurrect Boba Fett. Right. <laughs> One of many. Mm hmm. <laughs> but, but back to this issue of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, I love Burns' run on the FF. I love everything Burns did in the 80s. He could do no wrong. You know, very few artists, writers nowadays will make you pick up a book. You would pick up anything John Byrne drew throughout the 80s. This isn't the best example of it, largely because it's an issue of the thing. Right. Yes. If you're not reading the with thing, some exposition. Yeah. yeah. If you're not reading the thing... You're only reading Fantastic Four. This issue exists to bring you up to speed on what he's been up to, because in the next three months he's coming home. Right. So readers of the FF just need a little reminder. The problem is, what's been going on with the Fantastic Four while Secret Wars has been going on was far more interesting than what was going on in the Things title. The character dynamics have changed. The situation has changed. Sue and Reed are trying to live a normal life because they had another baby on the way. 
Jen Walters has become a major and integral part of the team and a good friend. Alicia and Johnny have started up this relationship, whether you like it or not. It was decent character growth to establish more and more how alienated Ben has come from his team that essentially really it's his fault that he didn't go back with them. Yeah. And that's what essentially that they're doing. So by excising the FF from two-thirds of their own book, it kind of leaves you with a, an issue that's not that satisfying on its own. I thought maybe you meant it's just not the best example of Burn because for some reason, Reed, Johnny, and Alicia all look like their faces are made of mashed potatoes. I think that's the inking. <laughs> I think that's Sal Gordon's inking. I like Sal Gordon's inking for the most part, and he handles the thing stuff very well. But yeah, I had exactly the same problem with you, James. That panel of Reed on, on the bottom of page four. Yep. It, it doesn't look right. And he's and Burns never drawn Reed to look like that before. No. Nope. So I can only assume it's the inking. Lots of good examples here of Burns using actual photographs of New York City as well, though. Yeah. Yes. Which he would do quite a lot. And then famously McFarlane would do as well in his run on Spider Man. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's a fine issue. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, and the. the, the... It also is not helped that once you do get to the thing, which is sort of the meat of the issue, mm. it's really just one long fight scene. Yeah, and not a particularly interesting one. Right, it, it reminds me that it's a bit of a cheat in that it's Frankenstein's monster, but it's not. Reminds me a bit of that early Roy Thomas X-Men issue where the Frankenstein's monster is a robot. Mm. And it's the Wolfman, but no. Right, right. It's not any of the werewolves we've seen before in Marvel. No, it's a different design too, which is nice. It, I do like the design. It's it's it Lean. looks a little more feral. Yeah, yeah. And then the epilogue is is basically sets up a Spider-Man story. Right. <laughs> but you know, you also do wonder as well how much of that was played into by the fact that he had this idea he was going to blow the Baxter building up. He couldn't blow up the symbiote costume because so there were plans for it. Yeah. Yeah. Bullpen bulletins is interesting because John Romita Jr. is hunk of the month. Never did that again. <laughs> That's funny. That was and, and the letters page has a letter from Elizabeth Holden, who was a frequent letter hack of the time. Mm. But the cover's nice. Yeah, I, like I, I have to be honest. I've not read a lot of the Burn FF run. Mm. Oh, it's good. It is good, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's real good. My, my first issue of Fantastic Four ever was... Fantastic Four 387, which is DeFalco Paul Ryan issue. Hmm. I took that issue to be signed by Tom DeFalco at a convention this past summer and told yep. him it was my first issue, and his response was, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom never changed. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to him, it's not the best era of the Fantastic Four. Nice art. It's I, as a kid, I was because I knew the the various cartoon versions and and their appearances in other books, but yeah. it's it's very weird if you're expecting classic Fantastic Four because Reed is missing, I think presumed dead. Scott Lang's so around. Namor is running around in a business suit. There's this whole um, bizarre thing where both Namor and Scott Lang have a crush on Sue. Right, this right. Grieving widow, and you're like, right. really? And that that's it's also the height of of Elijah being a thing. Yeah. Mm. Well, she's come back at that point, hasn't she, as a scroll? And Johnny right. can't and decide if he still has feelings for her. And you're like, oh god. And she I has an know, egg. I don't know what the problem. I, I just have a thing for green chicks. I blame Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, if you have eyes like Susan Oliver, who can blame you? Yeah. But but yeah, I so so this I, I know early Fantastic Four and I know later Fantastic Four, but but this period in the the early to mid eighties is, is sort of a blind spot for. But we'll get on that. Burn <laughs> stuff's available everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. not like Marvel Team. It is. It is genuinely one of the high points of the strip. As is currently, it's one of the best books that Marvel published with Ryan North writing it. Yeah, I've heard good things. I've heard no good things. No one more surprised than me to be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, modern day Fantastic Four. Ryan North is currently knocking it out of the park. I need to read the Dan Slot stuff. I know I probably I'm going to regret that. I don't think that, you but... need to. I think need I... maybe too strong a word. I tried that run and couldn't get into it, and I, no, I was I very sad about it because I I like Dan Slot on a lot of other books. I liked his Spider Man run a lot. Right. His his Mighty Avengers really. Yep, Silver Surfer's fantastic. His Mighty Avengers was the best Avengers book at the time it was coming out. Yep. Yeah. That was the one with Hank Pym as the Wasp. God. Oh, I love that series so much. Yeah, where he declares himself Scientist Supreme. It, the yeah. thing with the Fantastic Four is I've always maintained this from being quite young. It is Swiss Family Robinson meets Edgar Rice Burroughs. It's not a superhero book. Hmm. And you can actually say that about a lot of Marvel strips in the early days. If you're writing it as a superhero book, you're doing it wrong. Oh, yeah. It is very there's much a pulp adventure sensibility. Yeah. yeah, and Reed shouldn't be a dick. Reed should be Indiana Jones. Okay, Yeah. so since we have you on the show, and since it's somewhat topical to when this episode's coming out, what are your feelings on the rumored casting of Pedro Pascal as Reed Richards? If they're writing him as two-fisted scientist in the 1950s horror movie mold, I'm all for it. If mm. they're writing him as massive jerk, it doesn't matter who's playing him. Okay. I... Yeah, I, I I think I agree with you. He's Reed is sort of like the version of Doc Savage that settled down and had a family. Yeah. Yeah. And there shouldn't be none of this he's neglectful of Sue. He isn't neglectful yeah. of her. He just occasionally gets so wrapped up in his work that she has to go right here. And then he goes, right, okay. And he puts his work away and he focuses right. on his wife. I, I do right. like that the whole neglectful stuff. I, I, I like the characterization that Reed has a very high functioning version of autism. Mm. I like I like yeah. that interpretation. As far as as far as hyperfixating on things, I, I could maybe see that. As, mm. as someone who hyperfixates on things, I completely understand. Um, have I told you how much I've, how many Beatles books I've read this week? It, it's more <laughs> than one. Huh. Now and then's a good song, though. It is. Yes, I, I like. I, I was yeah. very surprised at the tone of it. The music video is crap. The, it, so the music video and the song, I think, are operating at cross-purposes in terms of the feelings yes. they evoke. Yes, but But I was impressed that they let it be so much a John Lennon song. Did you mean to do that? What? Let it be. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll take credit for it, but no. <laughs> Um, oh. I, I, I can envision a, a world where, especially with all of the AI technology where they could manipulate it, that it could have been made into more of a poppier McCartney-esque mm. single. And, and to their credit, they really let the the backbone of it being one of Lennon's songs sort of carry through. Yeah. Somebody has, a fan has gone back and like re-edited the song and like re-performed it to be like an early Beatles song like you know like ed sullivan era beatles yeah i don't know that i want that i i like that it sounds like late era beatles 
I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah, me too. Anyway, the wrong, wrong, anyway. Fab, wrong Fab Four. Right, right. <laughs> but I like to think that I do like to think that noted Beatles fans Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm would agree with us. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know Ben's a Beatles fan. It, it's absolutely. He has the wig. Yes, it's he canon. has the wig. It's, it's canon. canonical that they like the Beatles. Yeah. And like, I, I, like I, I read idea. that issue of Strange Tales. Oh well. <laughs> Oh, that was a good episode of Fantastic Ass, by the way. The Strange Tales ones were always good. No, oh. Neither essential nor a masterwork. <laughs> so we've got, we've got some interesting ads in this comic, and I just want to cut. It's such such eighties ads. Yep. We've got this little this little race car, which apparently comes from free T shirt, which is so important. They they mentioned it twice. <laughs> and the ad cover. You get a free t-shirt with this plastic model. However, I do not think it would actually be big enough for you to sit in as it is illustrated in this ad. No. <laughs> it would not. We've got a Fig Newton maze for, again, if you want to ruin your comic, like Andy did. <laughs> you can solve that. And we've got some grape and strawberry flavored bonkers, which, if I remember bonkers. correctly, are just, were just a horrendously bad candy. It's it's a Not bit like sure Starburst. I've ever had them. It, it's okay. a bit bonks you out. <laughs> bonks you. Okay. Yeah. There you go. We've got a Secret Wars toy ad. Yes. Of course you do. We're aware Secret Wars is going on at this point. And it yep. was just a toy ad. Yeah. Yep. I love yep. a little part of, part about where like how can we stop them, Captain America? That's our secret, Spider Man. Like it's a like it's a spaghetti recipe. Huh. Yeah, but surely Spider-Man's response to that be, but yeah, but you want to let me in on your secret? <laughs> oh, dear. Then we have, hey, kids, join the the NFL Super Pro Club today! Because okay. at that point, you know, there might have actually been some crossover between NFL fans and Marvel Comics fans. Yeah. Maybe, possibly. Uh, I, I yeah, don't know it's a, it's a little early for the Super Pro miniseries. That's 91. Yes. Yeah. Then we have, oh boy, you may be the next Marvel superstar. And you've got Spider-Man handing off some comic art to Jim Shooter. This um, is the Mighty Marvel Comics tryout, but isn't this what Mark Bagley won? Yep, I believe so. Although this did say they would publish the issue. They never did. Uh. <laughs> but Mark Bagley's obviously still drawing Spider-Man comics. Yeah, this uh, is, yes, he is. His, his, it's his origin story. Yeah. Yep. So that's quite huh. cool. And of course, as you mentioned, we've got Marvel Hunk, John Romita Jr. Yeah. <laughs> Hunk of the month. And we've got a Iron Man subscription ad. Very Christmassy, by the way. Yeah, must have mm-hmm. been around Christmas. Must have been. Cover date was January, but I, right, again, so it probably... it'll be around November it, then, won't it? It probably came out October, November, yeah. And then it finishes up with some video game ads. We've got Activision's Decathlon, and we've got Parker Brothers Montezuma's Revenge, which as far as I know, has nothing to do with that thing you ordered at the Mexican restaurant. Of course, this is the era where the video game ads always look better than the video games themselves. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Although it reminds me of the Jack Black Pitfall ad. Yep. Yep. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Young, young Jack Black in a commercial for the Atari Pitfall game. Nope. I'm not. That was 
his some of his earliest screen work. Just just like Vin Diesel got his start doing trade show videos promoting the Ninja Turtles knockoff Street Sharks. It's all gonna stop somewhere. Indeed. Uh, it'll it'll be fun when I'm a superstar someday looking back at this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, wondering uh, where Andy on your way up. Yeah, where Andy and Trey um, now. I don't care. <laughs> we didn't we didn't talk about it, but it's another cover with a white background. But yep. I enjoy I always like covers that sort of break the fourth wall a little bit, and so the thing mm-hmm. literally bursting through the cover mm-hmm. reminds me a little bit of the the Simonson Thor cover where he's smashing the, the logo. Mm. Yeah. Where well Beta Ray Bill, I guess, is smashing the logo. And will foreshadow the She Hulk comic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, and it says, At last it's clobbering time. Which yeah, implies I guess, that, that there isn't. I guess because Ben's other... been gone for a while. But there's a whole other comic book where he's the main character. Right, but he hasn't been in this book. Uh, of course, two yeah, and one's gone at this point, right? Yeah, two and one's gone at this point. He's got his own comic. The yeah. cover also implies that the thing's coming back in this issue. Right, when we're still a ways away. Yeah, yeah, we're Ain't a couple switch. of months away from that. Yeah, they're they're not going to let that happen until Secret Wars wraps up. Nope. No, 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 which is three months away, isn't it? Yep. Which uh, the publishing of that always fascinated me. Someone sort of looking at it after the fact. The they did a little bit of the sort of what DC did with one year later, where mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. jumped all of their other books forward while still telling this story that's in the past. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun. It you know it's burn. Yeah, yeah. It's burn in the eighties. It's hard to go wrong. And and I do love Burns' thing, just the the visual style of it. Ah, phrasing. I, yeah, phrasing. I, I know. I know. I know. Don't Unfortunate. Swing at the easy one. <laughs> we just did a whole man thing comic, James. I mean, and we resist making a giant sized man man thing joke. So I yes. really don't think we're getting the credit we deserve for that. Hey, to my credit, I resisted telling Trey he's too old for Burns. So, they... well, well, you said it, not me. I don't think we're ever going to get job art on this show. I'm just saying. Mm. You're kidding. Absolutely I, shocking. Not short, untrue, but shocking. Honestly, <laughs> short of being able to get in a time machine and go back to 1990 or so, I'm not sure I'd want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Anyway. <laughs> Any road up, I've got to go to tea. Yeah, yes. tea sounds lovely. Do we get tea? Yes. No, we're Americans, James. <laughs> you want dinner? <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, I'm at dinner. That was at dinner. Now it's uh, Yes. <laughs> ah, see. So, thank you again for joining us. It's always oh, a pleasure always a to pleasure. talk comics with yeah. you. Before we wrap things up, please let people know where they can find you, what you're up to. Hey Kids Comics is back every month. Me and Michael will talk about comics that we've read, because you can't talk about comics you've not read. That would be silly. <laughs> We're, we're doing at least a couple of months of no capes and tights, so we're like Smallville. <laughs> um, we've done Battle Action, Garth Ennis's recent Returns of War comics. We've done Pulp, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips's pulpy look at a 1930s comic book artist that has absolutely no biographical comics information in it. We've got Gundam coming up, all kinds of weird and wonderful, Ooh. great things. That comes out the last Thursday of every month. So you get one every four weeks, not one every month. And you just very put good. out on your other podcast, Palace of the Glittering Delights, a very good Doctor Who 60th episode. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, Ballast the Collection yes. Delights is my my solo musings vanity project where I talk about whatever the hell I want. It can be a comic, it can be books, it can be TV, it can be film, it can be anything. It's my show. Who's going to stop me? <laughs> and as as James just very kindly mentioned, yes, this episode I just dropped this week is a look at an unearthly child. The very very first episode of the show from 1963, as we currently gear up to celebrate the 60th anniversary. Which our lovely listeners, by the time you hear this episode, will have seen. So, yeah, you've uh, seen it, you you jammy future people. God, I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> Me too. I, I'm I'm um, cautiously optimistic. So am I. I've got so um, much to catch up on. Well, hurry up. Fifty years um, worth. <laughs> all right, just just do the modern stuff. Yeah. Michael Bailey and I do the old dark night every whenever. <laughs> <laughs> I eagerly look forward to another of those because. The, they're always fun. We've recorded about four or five. They're just waiting in the queue to come out. Sure. Very good. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on X, kind of. Blue Sky. <laughs> I'm on the. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Threads. Say hi. Yeah. I'm not scurry in real life. <laughs> no, no. Just on, just over podcasts and Zoom calls. Yeah, just just podcasting. <laughs> please put, put, put down the omnibus. Please. Please. Right. Neither of us are vagrants. Even though I may look like one. <laughs> ah! Uh, before we are bludgeoned to death, you can, of course, find us um, on our email is tombofideas at gmail.com. Our social media is most places at tombofideas. We are on Blue Sky. We are on Instagram. We are on Threads. Theoretically, we're still on X. Right. Um, right. Don't push Most, because mostly we don't dormant, push. but we yeah. haven't deactivated it yet. We probably should. But, you know, reach out to us as well. We are definitely not scary. We're actually cute and cuddly. And, well, I'm cute and cuddly. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Love to be included. I I don't want to speak for you. (laughs) I I don't want to speak for you because, you know. I uh, am frankly adorable. (laughs) He he, he really is, guys. (laughs) Right. He really is. And, of course, you can find our entire back catalog on Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X. All our shows are there. There's a lot of great articles, reviews, music discussion, film, television. Also, lots of other great podcasts to check out, like The Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, Horror Business, and much, much more. So check out Cinepunks.com. And I think... Yeah. (laughs) .com! Uh, That bubble burst. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) Talk about a 20-year-old joke. Although, <laughs> what, what was the joke I made earlier today that I think I don't know. So, oh yeah, I I made a, I made a Charlie McCarthy reference on Blue Sky earlier today. So I'm not one to talk about outdated jokes. <laughs> uh, but but go ahead. Until next time, Tomb Believers. Oh, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Until next time. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. You have been listening. The Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tombers Excelsior! <laughs>